0: This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. I'm talking to Tom Capuano, who grew up in Altamont. He founded Historic Altamont. The not-for-profit group has started a cemetery preservation project. Capuano discovered a list of cemeteries made in the 1940s by the late Kilderland town historian William Brinkman, who visited family plots and noted burial grounds, often with unmarked graves, of enslaved African Americans. This led Capuano to produce a mini-documentary with his son on the foundational role of African Americans in the Altamont area. Whether the topic is racism or sexism or immigration, history says capuana has a lot to tell us about our present times how how did you come to absorb this area and have it become so important to you oh i think
1: i think it just seeps into your bones it's just the the nature of this place right here at the lap of the mountain you know it's just and surrounded by the the beauty of nature. And that was in the 1950s, 1960s, you know, so growing up around here in the 50s and 60s is, was much less developed than now. And it didn't hurt one bit that my father was very, very interested in history himself. And so he tried to awaken that, that appreciation in us
0: kids. And it seems to have worked in your case. Yeah. So... Tell us about the thing that we're most familiar with, and that is Historic Altamont.
1: Yeah, Historic Altamont. Historic Altamont really, for me, is uh, it's it's a fledgling work in pro- progress, I'd say, because we have uh, so far so far to go before we really can um, can make the kind of contribution that we all hope for. But uh, Historic Altamont, the whole purpose is. Of our organization is to bring together people that, you know, care about um, the beauty of our surroundings, the historic, uh, architectural, natural, cultural, and uh, to promote those things, encourage preservation, uh, encourage research in in uh, you know historic um, the things of historic nature, and to to spread that uh, interest, spread that love. And, and so,
0: about we, how many people do you have in this group?
1: Well, our let me put it this way: our um, our email list is probably about twenty people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But we're on hiatus now, of course, because of the the pandemic, and um, that goes for all our programs and our meetings and so on. So, um, so we're just looking forward down the road to when we can get back to. Um, to uh, some of our activities. I shouldn't say completely on hiatus because we did begin our uh, cemetery preservation pro- project just a couple months ago. So um, so we do have some things that are still still in um, that we're still able to cultivate.
0: Well, tell me about the cemetery preservation. How many cemeteries are are there that you're going to be working with and what are you doing?
1: Okay, well um we began with the one on the uh, northern end of Brandel Road, the Severson Family Cemetery. We started there because we we knew the owner of the of the plot, and we got permission from her to um, to um, to bring in an expert. We brought in an expert by the name of Christopher White. He's a genealogist, historian, um, conservator, let's say, of of gravestones. He specializes in it. And he came out and he showed us um, how to write the stones, how to um, clean clean the stones so that they're more legible. And he has a he's very sensitive to the uh, the uh, the preservation needs of the materials that are are in the stones. You know, he knows he knows how to identify each type of stone, whether it's limestone or granite or marble or whatever it is. And he and so. We uh, began down there and he showed us how to uh, work in that cemetery and um, we hope to expand to the other cemeteries in Altamont and and in the outskirts of Altamont too because there's quite a few of them. Some of them are really in a state of neglect and being overrun by weeds and so we think it'd be really wonderful if we could um, contribute in that way.
0: It's my thought that there are probably a lot of cemeteries that are undocumented. Um, I know I spoke years ago to someone in the town of Knox who was trying to just catalog all the family burial plots, and there were just dozens and dozens that individual property owners knew and, like, mowed around, (laughs) but, you know, weren't recorded anywhere. Is there any... Place or way people that happen to have one in their midst that they can inform your group or let them know um, how?
1: Oh, definitely. I have the same impression, Melissa, that there are probably lots and lots of um, of cemeteries because uh, if you go back to the early 19th century, I think it was basically the custom that people buried their loved ones right on their own farm. Mm
0: -hmm. Um.
1: there's so many things that we would we would love to be a clearinghouse for so many things, not just for um, with the, this this topic that you're mentioning. If people would, were interested in in including us or, or um, availing themselves of our interests and our resources, which are meager, but we have some enthusiasm, um, they of course they could contact us. If anyone has a cemetery they would like uh, they would like us to work on. Uh, it, uh, of course, we're we're Concerned primarily with Altamont and um, the the environs, but uh, we'd be interested in others also. We have a couple members of our group who, who um, are kind of attached to family cemeteries of their own that they know of up in the hill towns, and these are their own family. So, um, so yes, we, we definitely would welcome any um, any inquiries in this regard as, as far as...
0: So is there an email address or some way people would reach you or the group if they are listening and think I have a cemetery that they should know about?
1: Yes, the, the uh, email would be Melissa Hale Spencer. <laughs> 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 and, then you, and then you can convey whatever you get to me and we'll take it from there. We don't have a website. Okay. And um, that's another thing, uh, another thing that hurts hurts it hurts to admit it you know when i look at um the duanesburg historical society or the Gillen historical society new scotland you know all these places are much further advanced than we are in altamont but in altamont we have a lot of other assets that we can be proud of also and just to mention one is uh the archives the altamont archives uh, that dan barker is running now but um No, I don't have a website. Okay, well, I'm
0: fine if people want to contact the paper, and I'll just forward it to you. Um, Because we're out there, we do have a website. But, yeah, you mentioned the archives, and they're amazing. I knew Roger Keenholtz, and so much of it came from his collection. And then Mm -hmm. Mary Jo Doherty was so wonderful about organizing it all and Mm -hmm. making it accessible and putting together those displays. But... Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to talk too about this, I guess you'd call it a documentary that you made with your son very recently and on um, I don't want to say it's on racism because really that's not right. It's kind of on the history the the role of black people in building Altamont and in Byron. So could you just tell us a little about the genesis of that and um, how your son? became involved in doing it with you?
1: Sure, sure. Um, my son uh, works for a, a TV station in uh, Dubuque, Iowa, and he went to school for um, video uh, video and audio um, composition. And so he understands this stuff, and I knew he'd be able to um, work with me on it. But the, the the project came out of the Black Lives Matter movement in part the interest, all of a sudden, the, the heightened interest there there that, that emerged in our country over the last couple of years about uh, the contributions of African Americans, and I look at it from a historical perspective. And you know, um, Altamont is not unique. The Hilltowns are not unique. This is this is the case all over New York. Um, New York, just like every other state, um, we benefited from the contribution of. African Americans in the early part of our history, late 18th, early 19th century, but that that history is almost erased from the landscape. When you go into a, a little town, any little town practically um, that's got any history, there are a uh, few signs, few obvious signs, let's put it that way. And when we started working on the on the cemetery project, Um, We were amazed, I was amazed, and and my my partners here were amazed too, to see that Brinkman, who was working in the 1940s, he was the uh, historian that that, um, preceded Arthur Gregg, he was registering all these um, graves of colored people. And he specified they were graves of slaves or colored people. Those are the words he used. And in many of those graves, graves were unmarked, and many of them were um, in in total uh, total disrepair, let's say. And he cataloged where they are, and I included a, just a sampling of that in um, in the documentary you're talking about, the mini documentary. Let's call it. it's pretty pretty modest little contribution. I call it a mini doc. Okay. Um, so that's when uh, we started uh, thinking about. Um, and, and I started researching, basically, from Arthur Gregg's writings, um, uh, as much as I could about Altamont in our village, even before it was a village, um, how many people of African descent were there, and what were they doing? And, and I began to discover more and more, uh, and just a lot of questions arose, many questions arose, but one thing is certain, that they had to have been... Instrumental in the foundation of the um, uh, of Altamont's prosperity, they ha- so that's why I like to talk in terms of the um, foundational contribution of the African Americans, which I in our community, which still needs a, a lot of research to understand it and appreciate it fully.
0: Yes, I agree with you. As a newspaper, we've tried to highlight that recently. We we had a column by Mary Ellen Johnson that looked at some of the records of sale and auction, and um, we had a letter writer who suggested that we put up a monument. Um, We haven't moved in that direction, but what, what kinds of things have you found, if you could just kind of walk us through what's in your mini-doc. Um, and it's, okay. the way it's set up is kind of interesting. It's like a dialogue between father and son going back and forth. It makes it kind of lively because um, it's hard when there's so little history to have it interesting to listen to. But just kind of walk us through what you found in the research so far.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, well, there's basically three, um, three sources. Uh, Arthur Gregg, Well, let's start with Brinkman, because I already mentioned him. What what Brinkman says about um, the the slave cemeteries, um, which is one big part of the uh, mini-doc, what Arthur Gregg writes about the earliest enslaved people, um, and these were people who worked for the big names in the village, like Jacob Van Aernam, and and then... uh, Finally, it's your paper, the Altamont Enterprise, or the Nowersville Enterprise, which uh, gives information, not a lot, but some very interesting information um, about uh, the African Americans that were still, still in Altamont, not many of them, but were still in Altamont in the uh, late 19th century. So, you know, the Nowersville Enterprise starts in 1884, so you can't go back too far, but um, what I what we've found besides well, what we've found I tried to put in the mini doc is that uh, that um, these these people, many of whom we know by their first names, that's basically the, that's basically as far as the records will take us is their first names. These people, um, one of them, you could say, um, helped to save. Jacob Van Arnum's life potentially because he was about to be ambushed by Tory sympathizers, and his um, his servant or, or his enslaved person Sam heard the rustle in the bushes and um, and alerted him, and the two of them um, started firing their well, no, I think Sam was loading loading the guns and handing them to jo- Jacob Van Arnum and. and and Jacob was uh, firing at them and scared them back up into the woods on the mountain. And now, that, I wouldn't know any of that if it weren't for Arthur Gregg. Arthur Gregg is the one that did all this uh, this uh, uh, foundational research. But um, And this is right,
0: thing, literally right where you live, <laughs> correct? Right that, down
1: the street. Yeah, yeah right that down, historic
0: yeah. barn is right there and the cemeteries across the street. And John Williams did a painting of that with Sam there in front of the barn um so that's a piece of local lore that's really close to home but we don't know who sam was other than his first name
1: his first name and his heroics on that day and we wouldn't know um we wouldn't know that if it weren't for the legend that arthur not the legend, but the story the the tradition let's say the story that was handed down generation to generation and, and came within Arthur Gregg's earshot and he recorded it for us well the the uh, Van Arnham family probably would have would have maintained that story that tradition I would hope, but there are other um, there are other other stories that are worthy of note, like the uh, the uh, African American servant. Of Doctor Frederick Crowns, you know we've been very interested in the, in the Frederick Crowns house, and that's one of our our main um, projects. Our, our attempted projects, Historic Altamont, was to pre- preserve that house. One of the reason we wanted to preserve that house is because it had it had the bedroom of an African American who was who was um, daily tending to Dr. Um, uh needs in the sense that he was tending to his horses. I called him the stable master because that's what he would have done. It seems almost to me, I'm seeing it like a pattern that many African-Americans were really, really good with horses and probably with training them and riding them. As a matter of fact, the other African-American in our midst, even as late as the 1880s, James Johnson, he received a compliment from people co- that were on their way uh, through town. They were coming from West Troy, I think it was, and they they knew him. They knew of his his uh, talent with horses and how how what good he was at controlling teams of horses. And they even complimented him. And the compliment got into into the Norrisville Enterprise. So there's uh, two examples right there: James Johnson and um, and Dr. Crowns's. Um servant who lived upstairs and in that house that's about to be demolished those there's two good examples of um of the kind of contribution that African Americans were making, and those seem to be pretty substantial if you ask me I mean they're not much they're not much different than uh the the contributions that other other white people were making or people of other. Uh, ethnic extractions but it's still worthy of note matter of fact I think it's even more worthy're more worthy of note than um, than the stories about uh, you know the the sad and distressing stories about uh, the, the African Americans who were sold uh, there's a story that Arthur Gregg tells about um, uh, one African American woman and her child was sold early on in the late eighteenth century at the um when at the uh, at the building that was once once stood where um Stewart's is now but i, I prefer to focus on the uh, the uh, the stories that that cast the african Americans in in that um more affirmative light where we we can actually see concrete things they were doing like tending to horses is not an easy thing to do especially when you got a doctor that's going out every day and traveling all over the countryside with his horse and carriage and um and and i imagine it had to be a really difficult uh, difficult and, and uh, demanding uh occupation
0: I'm trying to think of the time frame on this. Would he have been an enslaved person?
1: No, I don't no. think so. Okay, I think I think uh, Dr. Crown's, uh servant that we're talking about uh, uh, he would have been he would have been uh, a servant, but I don't believe he was enslaved. No, he wouldn't have been. This would have been uh, not in, not Two. in New York, but I'm not I, I'm I'm not positive, but I don't think so.
0: Okay. So if you could just kind of back up and talk generally about history for you, even as a child with your father being so interested in it, its values were obvious. But if you could just talk to people who might not think it matters, <laughs> why mm-hmm. why should we care about local history? Why Why should that be something... Um, worth spending your time on
1: well uh, I think I think it has lo- uh, the, as the cliche goes I think it has a lot to tell us about our present times there are so many things that we can uh, so many um, insights that we can get into our into our uh, human nature and insights we can get into the times that we're living in and into the um, into the uh, crises and problems and questions of our own time, just by looking back at uh, former times. Um, one example is this mini doc I made. If if we consider, um, obviously, the Black Lives Matter movement has almost nothing to do with the um, with the contributions that uh, African Americans made to. Uh, uh, 19th century rural New York it has to do with a lot of other things but when you go back into history and 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 through research discover uh the kinds of things that I've been talking about I think it, it, it throws the whole relationship between um uh the African Americans and the larger society into um into a, a great a, clearer light, and, and allows us to understand it better. But um, other things, too. Oh, you're, you're paid with the knowersville Enterprise, the Altman Enterprise is just full of things. If you want to understand sexism better, look at the past. If you want to understand immigration better, look at the past. If you want to understand uh, oh, take for example this this, uh, this uh, Situation where people wanted to tear down monuments because of their, because they represented the Confederacy. Uh, this is something that's was going on within the last twelve months, and it's it's a difficult nut to crack. I think uh, for for an historian, you know, every every monument has some significance, but when you look back at uh, the 1880s and you discover that there were there was a monument in the 1880s that that many people thought needed to be torn down, and there are people that even went. This was the John Andre monument, which was downstate, down the river. He was a uh, he was a uh, British spy. I think he was a British spy in the Revolutionary War, and for some reason uh, they they erected a monument to him, and it brought made everybody get up in arms, and a lot of people um, tried to deface the monument. So there's one example. Another example I came across recently was um, was uh, St. John's Lutheran Church. They were trying to decide who, uh, who their next pastor was going to be, because the one that they had 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 passed away. So what did they do? They called a meeting of the male membership of St. John's, to uh, determine uh, who the next pastor should be. Notice male membership. When you think about, um, you know, like just 130 years ago, that was the men's job and not the women's. And the women's women seem to have been excluded from that kind of thing. That casts a a, a light, a very important light on on the evolution. It's we're, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the evolution of 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 uh, of of historic consciousness, and you can see it in our race relations, you can see it in our gender relations, you can see it in how we look at immigration, you can see it in how we look at history, and we're talking about monuments to past uh, heroes or uh, past um, uh, anti-heroes. And so uh, I'm getting kind of long-winded, but I just think there's a lot to learn from the past that is applicable to the present.
0: So with your statement about the evolution of historic consciousness, I like the idea that we're evolving. Is that what you think? We're not yeah. de- We're not devolving. We're actually making progress in a forward motion. Yes, that's what I think. That's reassuring. And as far as monuments, I just wonder with this... Uh, thought that we were given at the Enterprise to do some kind of a monument for the African Americans that helped to build what we have today. I mean, do you think cemetery restoration would be a good way to go with that? Where where are these cemeteries that um, Mr. Brinkman in the 1940s had Written about, and I was unaware of until <laughs> I saw your mini doc. Like, where in where in the area are they located?
1: Well, they're located on family farms. I see. And he he specifies the family farms. His his um, his book is um, is actually it's online. It's very easy to access. Um, let me just find it right here for a minute. It's uh, uh, William A. Brinkman. William A. Brinkman, if you just um, do a search for William Brinkman um, burial places, it should come up and um, you'll get a PDF file and it actually names all the farms in our area that in 1940 he visited and cataloged. And on each farm, he he, uh, recorded the names of the the family of uh, the family members that are buried there, and then he always made sure he looked around to see if there were any other uh, grave sites apart. And often they were apart. the The uh, African Americans were buried in another at another site, and so um, that that's where you'd find. That's the only work that I'm aware of uh, where you can uh, find a uh, cataloged. It's not mm-hmm. a real because Altamont's a small place but there were a lot of farms and brinkman was able to locate a lot of family farms and he names them by name and he he tells where the uh, what he found in, including the uh, the family grave sites and the grave sites of what he calls the colored people or these slate the slaves
0: so to close out on' a... Perhaps more uplifting note, I I know you have an interest in Founder's Day, which is a new celebration in Altamont. The enterprise was part of it in a small way because we helped at the library with Joe Burke's uh, sharing of stories from old timers in the village. But what do you envision for Founder's Day once we're past the pandemic <laughs> isolation going oh.
1: forward? Well, first, let me. Um, I, I, I have lots and lots of in, in things that I envision, but I'm just one person. Uh, I, I just like to. Um, I just like to, if I may, I just like to say um, that Altamont is so rich in uh, historians. You know what I mean, Melissa? There's so many people in this village. Who really care about history and have done a lot more work than me. I mean, where would we be without Keith Lee's book, for example, Mm -hmm. Images of of Altamont, where, you know, every page has these beautiful photographs that really allow you to to put yourself on Main Street in the 1880s. And that's, you know, that's Keith Lee and the Altamont Archives. Uh, Laura Shore's book, um, imagine what what she might envision what Keith might envision Laura Shore's book uh, on uh, Everett Rao um Mary Ellen Johnson that contributes every week in your um, in your paper not every week but I every think it's month twice.
0: once a month <laughs> once a month <laughs> yep
1: yeah. um Bev Filkins over at the Altamont Fair you know the Altamont Fair has a historical society too and um, and oh, what I think is so valuable is your your um, is your, uh, oral, uh, they're almost like oral history podcasts that you've done, uh, through the enterprise. I mean, some of the information I've gotten, um, I, I got straight from Keane Hilton's podcast and Gene Hungerford's podcast. Some of the information I've put into my, uh, index, by the way, I have this, I'm working on this, um, index of, um, early Altamont people, place and things. And, um, Anyway, to answer your question, when we, when we get all these people together and, and, uh, and uh, marshal all these assets, not least of which is the Altamont Enterprise podcast and interest in oral history and Founders Day and so on, I'm sure there, I'm sure there could be so many ideas come up uh, 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 with regards to um, promoting our historical and cultural natural heritage. Um does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, it I wish we had another half an hour because there's so many little pathways that I'd like to I go do down.
1: I do too. I, I wanted to tell you I wanted to tell you some really interesting things and I can see we ran out of time. Well, tell
0: us the most interesting thing we didn't hear. And I wanted to talk so much but, yeah. more about you and your own life. I mean, I remember when I wrote about your epic poem. This just fascinating youth that you had in Brazil and knowing Larry Rosebough and <laughs> having Rosalind Carter visit when you were imprisoned and helping poor people, but let's just focus on one last really fascinating nugget that you didn't have time to share in this, in this I, <laughs> podcast.
1: Oh gosh, okay. I, I, I'm telling you, this is, to me, this is one of the most exciting things, that when I put out that mini doc... Tom Breitenbach contacted me and said, you know, Tom, I talked to a woman that was born in 1881 when I was 10 years old, and she told me about an underground railroad lookout. Now, there you go. The stories start coming once you touch, once you touch a place. In Arthur, in Arthur Gregg's book, he says, he mentions the parsonage of the first Lutheran church, St. James, which used to stand in front of Fairview Cemetery. He said, um, he said that parsonage, and now he's writing in 1936, that parsonage, which is now the home of Mr. Hedden. Now, what parsonage do you think he's talking about? The, who, who remembers Mr. Hedden from 1936? Nobody, right? But I knew somebody named Hedden in grade school, and I called her and I said, yeah, that was my grandfather. And she was able to tell me exactly what house Arthur Gregg was writing about. I mean, I could go on and on. Uh, another friend of mine, um, Gail, Gail Mazervi, who used to live on uh, Fairview Avenue, uh, we were just chatting one day, and she said that her house used to be a shirt factory, that her father was remodeling, taking down the walls in her house, and he, he uncovered a stud that says, they said, Alcamont Shirt Factory, 1888. Now, I, I imagine Keith Lee knows a lot more about this than I do. But I haven't found any information on that yet, and, and um oh oh, I mean I could I could <laughs> I had <laughs> just give me a couple more minutes. <laughs> All these people, once you, this is an amazing thing, Melissa, that everybody seems to have an interest in in history, especially as as it regards themselves. Uh, another friend of my sister's, uh, uh, Laura Bartell. She used to live, until she was like six years old, she used to live in the last house on the left as you're going down towards the Bozenkill on New York 158, the one that goes towards Schenectady. Okay. It's a very, very old house. And on the 1854 um, uh, gold map, you can see that house. But on the other side of the Black Creek, which enters the Bowens Kill right there, there's another house indicated on the 1854 map. Well, when she was a little girl, there was a house in ruins across a dilapidated bridge that went across the Black Black Creek, and she remembers the ruins of that house. So, um, sh- show what you're doing is you're you're tapping into people's earliest memories. And you're making them come alive, and you're making them, uh, you're making the, um, our our Altamont's earliest memories come alive again. That house, which has been actually, the house belonged to somebody by the name of Bibi. and you know Bibi was a big name around here. And and to the fact that there's someone that can tell us, yes, I've seen that house because I used to live uh, right across the creek from it. Uh, I think is is amazing because it allows us to actually to pinpoint w- where the house was. Um, things like that. Things yeah, like that.
0: so it's not just that you're Sherlock Holmes solving a mystery and it's done. What you're doing is you're tapping into people's personal recollections and memories and touchstones and you're kind of weaving together things. From these disparate sources, and mm-hmm. coming up with a, a kind of a whole fabric that that we can each find our place in. I love we it. We
1: can each find our place and there you said it right there. I think that's the thing, because we all have a place in this. Yes. really. Do. and even even the people, even the people who uh, live in the very uh, the most recent uh, residential developments of Altamont. Once they start digging around, they can they'll discover that they're sitting on they they're living on very important hay fields. Those hay fields, um, those hay fields once provided the hay and the straw that fueled the the horse traveling economy. I mean, our economy. We didn't have gas stations because we needed hay, and we needed hay to feed our horses, and we needed horses to get around in carriages, and and. Right at the end of the uh, Maple Avenue extension, there used to be a pond. Uh, we, we used to call it Kaiser's Pond, which is now completely gone. But, but um, that was a, a favorite fishing hole. So, you know, even if you live in a, in a modern house at the end of a, a, a recently developed neighborhood, there's a lot of history. There. Oh, as a matter of fact, in that same area, they also discovered a cemetery. And they think it might be the cemetery John grew. Keith Lee again. He knows more about this than me. But um, behind behind the the house that used to belong to Doctor Grover, which is the um, which is development the newest development that we're talking about, there is a cemetery. So a, a lot of a lot of research could still be done. Uh, there's so much to be done, and it may be uh, it may be insignificant in the greater national scheme of things but for for those of us that live here and walk these streets uh, it can it can be um, an exciting adventure because like you say like you said it's uh, it, we're all a part of it.